It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. Steve and Jerry with you as always. Jerry, how's it going? It's been a while since I've spoken to you. I know, it's been a couple of weeks, it seems. Yeah, we usually record every week, and last week we did not record. I know, it was missing. Part of my life was missing, Steve. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we're kind of trying to record a bunch of stuff in advance so we can take a week or two off in the summer and still bring you the Rush Fancast every week. Yeah, the high quality you've come to expect. (laughs) Speaking of high quality, I've got a Twitter poll for you, Jer. Oh, yeah? If you recall, we spoke about moving pictures not too long ago. I do recall. And I asked in one of the episodes, what song has Rush's most iconic opening riff? Okay. And my opinion was Limelight. Yeah, it was. And you agreed. But I decided to open it up to the Twitterverse, and I came up with four options. Limelight, Bastille Day, The Spirit of Radio, or Anthem. Hmm. What do you think? All great riffs, that's for sure. Yes. Um, I'm going to go with The Spirit of Radio. You are correct. That is the winner. Oh. The Spirit right. of Radio. 51% nice. chose The Spirit of Radio. Limelight came in second at 37%. Wow. So we were close. We we almost hit it on the head. Yeah. And Bastille Day and Anthem both had 6 and 7%. Hmm. I got a lot of responses from people with other suggestions. Like what? One person, I forget who it was, I'm so sorry, was very adamant that Fly By Night should have been the winner. But Really? Yeah, I, I don't see that as a you know an iconic riff, though, for me. Right, right. It's a great song. Now at the at the uh, risk of getting uh, more emails, I'm <laughs> is what what constitutes a riff? Well, that's the thing. I guess it could really be any guitar part, right? Could be a riff. Could it though? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not really to me. Fly by night. I understand what you're saying. Fly by night's not really a riff. It's more like a chord, right? Right. That's what I'm thinking. Right. I am probably wrong. I don't know. You know who will know. And will email us immediately with the, with the definition, Nathan Santos. Oh yes, I know. Every time we, we have no idea what's going on. He emails me and says, Hey, this is a riff. This isn't a riff. Yeah. This is the Mixolydian mode. This is the Dorian <laughs> mode. You know, things that I have no idea about. Nathan knows everything about. Yeah. And we thank him for that. Yeah. Nathan, uh, let us know what a riff is. <laughs> We should just have him on the podcast every week to answer these questions. Just, just kind of hanging in the background. Hey, Nathan, come in here. Yeah. Just dip in and be like, uh, it's the Mixolydian mode. (laughs) Oh boy. So you got an email for me, Jer. I do. This is a great email, Steve. Oh, great. So this is from Mark from the Netherlands. Ah, the Netherlands. We love emails from the Netherlands and we get a lot. We do. Mark with a C at the end, of course. Okay says, I'm a 55-year-old Rush fan from the Netherlands, a Rush hotspot in Europe, as you mentioned in an earlier email. I got hooked on Rush in the 1970s, beginning with Fly By Night, on through Moving Pictures, the album you so meticulously talked about in the last four Rush casts. I'm one of those fans Steve talked about who didn't cope with the synthesizer period from Signals up into Roll the Bones. It took the guitar-crazy counterparts to make me hook up with Rush again, right up until the last album. But hearing you talking about the albums I missed, like Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, Presto, and Roll the Bones, inspired me to listen to those albums more carefully. I ordered the synth albums I didn't own on vinyl from Discogs, it's an amazing site, plus the live album, A Show of Hands, and you guessed it, I love it all. Wow, that's great. The music, the lyrics, it's amazing. Maybe it took just a few years to get me seasoned to appreciate the sound of those albums. I don't know. but. If it wasn't for your amazing podcasts, I never would have experienced that. And therefore, I thank you. I can't wait until you talk about signals and grace under pressure. Keep up the good work and greetings from the Netherlands. Wow. Thanks, Mark, for that email. That's great. I know. I wrote him back and said, that makes me so happy. Well, that's the reason we're doing this podcast. We want to inspire people to expand their Rush Horizons. Yeah. So, Jerry, we've got a special guest today on the Rush Fancast. If you've seen the documentary Time Stands Still, you know this person. She is the creative director of RushCon, and she worked in the White House, Jar, in the Obama administration. I know. Jillian Marianovich, welcome to the Rush Fancast. 
Hello, it's so nice to be here. I never get tired of talking about Rush. Who does? Who does? And we want to start <laughs> with your Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush? How did you become a fan, Jillian? That is a great question. So I hate to admit this, but when I was in high school, I super had a crush on a boy who was a big Rush fan. And that was sort of like a transitional period in my life. I was, you know, 15 in high school and I really liked him. And he invited me to go to a Roll the Bones concert. And I'd never heard of the band before, but I went and it was just insane with the bunnies and the rapping skeleton and like the lasers and Getty. And I just, it blew my mind and it just changed absolutely everything about how I perceived music and art and experience since then. So that was my initiation to the, to the rush world. So did this gentleman get a second date? No, <laughs> <laughs> but he introduced you to rush, which is the most important thing. It is. He didn't know that, though. This wasn't like, a, hey, I'm about to, you know, hold on to your hat. Like, this is going to be cool. He was just like, yeah, we're going to this show. Do you want to come? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I'm the biggest fan ever being, you know, totally lying. And then, it, you know, I left and I was just like, you know what? This is now this is it. This is this is who I am now. Right. The same thing happened to us. We saw them for the first time on the Power Windows tour. Mm-hmm. Steve had like moving pictures and I had never, you know, heard anything beyond the radio. And then when he saw them, it was like, oh, my God, is this what I've been waiting for my whole life? Like, what is what ha- what just happened to me? <laughs> like, how has this secretly been going on for many years and no one's told me, like, where where has this been? Like, I was a drummer. Um, and so, you know, seeing the 15 minute Neil solo and I just like my I was just googly eyed, you know, and then the rest is history. So you say you were a drummer. You're no longer a drummer. I mean, I am in, in, you know, in my core DNA, but living in small apartments does not lend itself well to uh, having big drum kits. So I've mm-hmm. kind of retired a little bit, but only, you know, until I can get a place where I can fully set up and, and rock out. I'm a little rusty for sure. So Jillian, why don't you tell us how RushCon came about? Was it, yes. your, was it your brainchild or was it someone else's? No. So um, this was after... Neil's first set of tragedies in his tragic life after Tess for Echo when there was sort of like an abyss of what's going to happen with Rush. This was before Facebook, really. There was like message boards and there were a couple little, you know, GeoCities websites, but there was by no means the internet fandom and network that there is now. And um, these two women, Fred Weird and um, Eddie Maxwell, who live in Toronto and Texas respectively, thought, hey, this is a really good time for Rush fans to maybe get together and meet each other and uh it's been pretty you know everyone had sort of like the two or three rush fans in their city that they'd know about or they'd see at um record releases and that kind of stuff so they they posted on the message boards like hey everyone come to toronto we'll do this this rush thing and it totally worked and it was perfect and Rush fans are just the right type of people to enjoy the type of environment that we create. And, uh, you know, we've been doing it for 20 years at this point. We took we've taken the past two years off. Um, But, yeah, 20 years of it. And it just it gets better and better. And the people are just it's just so much fun and such an awakening. Now, did you work directly with Rush's management in any way to organize this? We have. They've been very, very supportive. They give us tons of like autograph stuff for auctions. They give us, they set up this amazing tour of the Anthem SRO record. Their offices are just like a, a rock and roll hall of fame just for Rush. It's just like decadent with gold records and awards and costumes and, and props from the videos. And they, they let us all tour through there um, usually during the convention. And it's just, it's super special and they've been extremely supportive. Now, before you ask, (laughs) no, the band has not ever come, which um, is something I totally respect because if you were them, you would not come either because (laughs) we we are a, rabid fan base (laughs) you know it's pretty intense like some of us are pretty it's it's an intense experience and i think for their own safety and mental health it's it's not a good idea for them to be dropped into the middle (laughs) the eye of the hurricane um but they've been very very supportive they've um done videos for us they've done you know they sign stuff for us all the time and and they've they've just been great And you said that you haven't done it for the past two years. Are you planning on doing it again? 
So it's been, and I'm sure you guys know, sort of like a crazy time, not only to be a human, but to be a Rush fan. And um, typically we have a convention around a tour or some sort of event, like when Time Stands Still, you know, when a movie came out or whatever. Um, So when the band retired, we felt it would have been pretty difficult to get the same amount of crowds and enthusiasm. And then, you know, since Neil's passing, it's just been like extremely emotionally raw for a lot of us. So we kind of think it's time to do it again. I think, you know, it's, it, it's the right time in all of our lives. It's a right, it'll be a form of healing for all of us. So obviously we can't do anything this summer. So we do have our eye on doing something next summer, which will be our 20, 20th anniversary. So do you think RushCon would have been possible with fans of another band? You know, why is there no Aerosmith Fest, Van Halen Fest? What makes Rush fans different? Why are they drawn to RushCon? That's an interesting question. I believe a lot of band, other bands do have stuff. I mean, there's, of course, the Juggalo Festival or whatever it's called. Oh, um, oh yes. Let's, <laughs> let's not forget about the Insane Clown Pop. Yeah. Juggalos, the Gathering of the Juggalos. I would say we're, you know, of the equivalent caliber. Um, <laughs> I think that being a Rush fan means that you are a more intellectual person by nature and a more perhaps sensitive person by nature. And because of those things, a lot of the people that are very into Rush or, you know, appreciate them are less outgoing. They're more introverted, introverted people in general. So offering people an opportunity to socialize with other Rush fans where it's just such a natural thing you have in common is a, it's a big release valve for a lot of people, I find. And it's just really fun to go to Toronto as sort of like a Mecca, you know, like a, a holy pilgrimage to see all the, yeah. the rush stuff that's up there. So how do you find, you said that, it, uh, you know, the people who come are, are diehards. Yeah. What makes a rush fan a diehard? I mean. Mental it, illness. Because <laughs> <laughs> like your experiences was our experience. You saw them and it was just the light bulb went on and it hasn't gone off since. So why? Why does that happen? why do people become insanely into them? Yeah. The best way I think I can put it is that for me, the way Neil wrote and the lyrics were sort of like, he gave me a voice that I, I couldn't have, I didn't have on my own. And so I took on so much of their identity and their philosophy as a band and sort of, you know, some of the, the visual elements, like I just, it became such a, core part of my personality which is is strange to say but i think a lot of people it filled in a missing part and i think with anyone that has a serious serious fandom that thing whether it's sports or you know video games or music like it it is filling in pieces of us that needed to be filled and i think like without that there's like a certain loneliness and then when you when you get to absorb this thing you love so much and then share it with other people. It's a wonderful cathartic thing. Yeah. You know, I've said before that um, when it came to Neil's lyrics that he didn't tell me how to think, but he kind of taught me how to think. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely what I have taken from this whole experience for the last, however many decades it's been. Like what other bands can you be like, Oh yeah, he's a great drummer. And he introduced me to literature. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know, like, I don't think too many other bands are um, doing that and inspiring generations of kids to like become free thinkers and, you know, think about atheism and, and, you know, all the stuff that Neil stands for. It just, it's, it's such an awakening. There's so many layers to this band that I think that the big fans like us three, like really get to the, the deep, deep, deep layers. Cause it's not just the music. It's not just the concerts. It's the lyrics and the philosophy and what they represent, you know? Yeah. And Nobody's the- really uh, dissecting ACDC lyrics too much. <laughs> you never know. There could be a podcast about ACDC going on right now. Sure. Yeah, it's true. The thing we're learning Jillian is that Neil continues to teach us even after he's gone, since we've been doing this podcast and just breaking down his lyrics, we're learning new things every day. Yeah. And I don't know how political you guys want to go, but I'm happy to, um, (laughs) feel free. 
people, there's a, and you're going to, we're going to get a lot of trolling out of this, but there's a big libertarian right wing facet to Rush fans a lot. And they claim that, you know, Neil's libertarian and, and, you know, and, and right wing and, and he would never, you know, wear a mask, God forbid. Um, but like, you know, we posted something quoting, um, witch hunt and we put black lives matter on there and people went bananas they were like rush is not a political band neil would never want to da 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 i'm like are you insane rush is the most political band like i've never aside from like rage against the machine like what are or maybe like rem like what other bands are talking about politics and war and class warfare and and you know witch hunts and all that kind of stuff like that is everything that we're experiencing right now as a culture and for people to say that neil would not want anything to do with that the trees is about equality that you know what i mean like the larger bowl and all these other weird songs and and ceiling unlimited and and Oh, sorry, I'm getting I'm no, getting, please. Uh, <laughs> like all all these songs are about culture and and what we're experiencing as humans and individualism and um, yeah, the people that are just you know scoffing at it, saying Neil would never conform to these modern day you know interpretations of his lyrics. They're dead wrong. They are dead dead wrong. He was one of the most politically motivated but in his own extremely classy, like subdued way, you know, you could, you could study his lyrics, but um, he inspires me to be involved and to help change, you know? Yeah. What do you think about Rand Paul using the trees <laughs> prior to his speeches? Well, Getty actually said something about like how the trees has nothing to do with like cutting taxes on the 1%, you know, like, <laughs> It was, first of all, I know for a fact that the candidates don't really choose the music. It's usually, you know, senior staff and that kind of stuff. But the candidates are there and they hear it. So they sign off on it. But I really doubt he had any sort of fundamental, like, listening to what the lyrics said. I've heard him actually reading the lyrics of the trees. Oh, he, he did? Yes. Ugh. I, I think, you know, they're, they're clinging to something that they think isn't there. They're like, oh, well, here, we'll tap into this this cool libertarian streak. And it's just like, yeah, that's not none of what you're at. It's yeah. <laughs> well, Rush did ask him to stop. He which, did. Which yeah. he did. Yes. Yep. Here's a very important political question for you, Jillian. Yes. Is Barack Obama a Rush fan? A Rush fan. No. <laughs> no. Well, for the record, he's very fond and very close with Justin Trudeau. Um, but I don't think they make each other each other mixtapes. Oh, what a shame. Yes. Uh, Barack Obama's way into like, you know, R&B and hip hop and really cool. Like he's really into Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind and Fire and like, you know, some modern R&B stuff. And yeah, he is by no means listening to 2112 between bilateral meetings. He's one of the <laughs> he's one of the cool kids that wasn't listening to Rush, right? No, I can't. No. <laughs> what about Mayor Pete? Oh, Mayor Pete definitely is a Rush fan. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. That guy, I mean, he, you know, he's extremely intellectual and he's a musician himself. And so, like, you know, those two things, you giving, you know, and he's, he was kind of like a little bit of a loner growing up. Um, that's the perfect combination to be a Rush fan. I think I saw a video of him uh, playing a spoon song on the piano. Probably. Not mistaken. He, he plays bass and he, yeah, he's... He's insane. He's the best. And he loves science and he loves, yeah. And he, you know, he's, yeah, he's great. Both of them, all of them. So how did your Rush fandom, Jillian, assist you at all, if at all, working in politics? Did the lessons you learned from Neil apply in this arena? I mean, obviously it did. How did, how did that shape your? My career? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I kind of, at no point in my life was like, I'm going to be in politics. Like that was never, ever, ever the plan. Um, like I could barely find, you know, China on a map. Um, <laughs> and I kind of just fell into it just because of my, like I was extremely interested in politics in my early twenties and thirties. And then just because where I, you know, my skill set and the time in my life, it, it worked out that I, I worked on the Obama 2012 campaign. But like Rush has influenced 
every piece of my life just because they're such a pillar of like how I grew up, how I was raised by them, you know? So there's not one thing that I could say is like, you know, oh, Grace Under Pressure made me vote for this state senator. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, it just it just is such a tenant in, you know, my own personal philosophy and vocabulary. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people, if not most people get into Rush in their teen years Mm -hmm. because there seems to be some kind of idealism at that point in your life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's when you're still clay, you're still getting molded by your family and your culture and your socioeconomic status near your, you know, where you grow up. So like all those things are a factor in developing who you are. And I think music is such a strong element for some people. Like, you know, like I said, like some people it's sports, some people it's religion, some people it's I don't know, being really good at school or academia, but like, you know, music for those of us who get touched by it in that way are, we're the fortunate ones. So Jillian, you and the other founders of RushCon kind of single-handedly squashed the myth that women are not Rush fans. <laughs> Correct. How do, you th- how do you think that that myth happened? I mean, where, where did that come from? Well, I mean, it is, it's not a myth. I mean, the data proves <laughs> that we are in the minority. Like if there were a bar chart of men to women, they would be like enormous and teeny. Um, Just because Rush does not have, I don't want to say, dare I say swag, because that's such a strange term for them. But like they don't, they didn't have the tight pants and the shirtless, you know what I mean? Like they didn't have that sort of aura of being, male rock stars that I think a lot of women in that time were attracted to. Um, But those of us that do love Rush are attracted to them for the whole range of things that we discussed, like the music, the lyrics, the experience, the friendships, the philosophy. And then like a lot of us think most of them are extremely attractive gentlemen. Um, (laughs) It doesn't, doesn't hurt, but you know, I just, I think that, they were a little bit of a typically masculine, introverted fan base when they were starting to get big. And then once they were also never like on MTV. So I don't know, you could never, they didn't have that going for them as well. And did you get a lot of um, flack, I guess, from male Rush fans if you're showing up at a show and people are kind of questioning your bona fides as a Rush fan? Sometimes, you know, um, but like, why even give those people (laughs) (laughs) the time of day? Like why, you know, I'm not there to prove anything. Right. Do you think the reason that not many women were at rush shows back in the early days is because it was harder to find like-minded other women that liked rush? Probably, but I don't think, I don't think people cared about Liking a, I don't know. That's a good question. You mean like it wasn't the fad? It wasn't like there wasn't a ton of girls like squealing to go buy the latest, you know, a show of hands T-shirt. Um, for instance, you know, Jerry and I went to see Rush for the first time, and we were what seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. And if I was a woman, would I have had a female friend who was interested in going to the show with me? If I didn't have a boyfriend like you did. Well, do you know what? Like, I would say. Rush is the band that is the gift of the older brother. <laughs> or oh, That's so true. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of, I would say so many stories I hear about people getting into them is like, oh, my dad was, or oh, my older brother was. And I, you know, heard them in the car when we were on road trips and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know too many women that in big groups back then that would have, have, have gone to a show. Yeah, well, I have two daughters, and my older one is definitely, definitely into Rush. And my younger one, just the other day, said she wants to watch the uh, documentary. Nice. And I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. Of course, she wants me to also watch the Taylor Swift documentary, kind of as a a tit for tat. But I'm like, The Taylor (laughs) Swift documentary is amazing, and Taylor Swift is an incredible musician. Oh, yeah. I, I really like her stuff. My, my daughter is a huge, huge fan. Watching her, they show a lot of her writing, you know, how she writes music. And it was just, it's fascinating to watch that kind of stuff. She's truly gifted. And I would, I would pay a million, million dollars to have that sort of view of how Rush writes music. Like, 
Because yeah. we've never we've never seen that. That's never been something that's been featured anywhere. Like Getty and Alex jamming and then trying to figure out how to fit lyrics on top of stuff. Like that would be fascinating to me. If I ever got to ask them stuff, that would be predominantly what I'd want to know. Like what is their music rating? How does that work? You know, the thing with Taylor Swift and Rush, they sort of have something in common. They connect with their audience really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think a lot of it's the lyrics. So organizing RushCon, Jillian, I'm sure you've seen Rush quite a few times. What's your personal tally and do you have any favorite shows that stand out for you? Um, I stopped counting because I um, I just, yeah, I stopped counting. Um, the last show was my perfect show for many, many reasons. But that last show was the one that will remain in my mind for the rest of my life. I mean, there's been a lot of great shows, but like for so many reasons, that last show was just absolutely heartbreaking and flawless. Yeah. I mean, they did such a great job. I always think that that, that tour was a gift to fans. Yeah. And hearing how much Neil struggled through it, like, you know, it makes you even appreciate it even more, but like yeah. that was RushCon was there. We knew it was the last show. We had all these, um, I, were you, were either of you there? We were not. No. Oh, we had, um, all these, these star men that had, um, blinking lights and we turned them all on. We handed out like a thousand of them to the front section and during closer to the heart, we turned them all on and the place just lit up and you could see Alex and Getty sort of like get overwhelmed by like the amazing, like it just looked, it was, it was one of the most incredible moments of my life when that everything lit up and you know, it was, it was for them and it was a thank you and they, they saw it. So Jillian, is there one particular Rush song that you relate to the most? One uh, song that speaks to Jillian the most? That's such an unfair question. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what day is it? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it, it honestly depends on my mood. It's like Rush is like a spice cabinet of, <laughs> of options, you know? Like, am I feeling angry? Am I feeling oppressed? Am I feeling unmotivated am i feeling stuck like i can choose which which element do i need to add to my current moment to help me through it um roll the bones is always one of my favorite songs just because it was my first show and you know yes i love the skeleton and the rapping um but yeah i mean there's can't answer that you what do you guys how do you guys answer that Steve, you want to you want to tackle that your own question? <laughs> well, you know today today uh, you know I'm I'm like you. It depends on the day. I was listening to Snakes <laughs> and Arrows today, and Faithless screamed out to me. You don't have to be religious to be a good person, and I think that's that's what that song means to me. And I feel like I'm a good person, and I don't need. I have my own moral compass to steer by, as Neil said. Yep, I love it. That's today for me. Oh boy, uh, you know I for some reason I gravitate toward late 70s early 80s from farewell to kings through grace under pressure mm-hmm. for some reason so any of those songs <laughs> I, I, I sort of had a counterparts renaissance a couple of weeks ago i was just like i was going on one of my walks because that's all you can do is like listen to music and walk around um yeah. And I was listening to the remastered version and I was like, holy shit, this album is so good. <laughs> and like, you, you forget about songs on there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that album. Double agent. Double agent. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, Between the Sun and Moon is one of my favorite songs. And it's, it's such a weird one, but like. It is. Driven or yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the wrong album, but yeah, that it's so well produced and it sounds so good. And like, that was such a strange time in their career because that was their like grungiest rock album, you know, yeah. they, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't Beavis and Butthead. It was, it was crazy. What about songs that Rush never played live? Is there a song that Rush never played live that you wanted them to play? So I'm a- available light. Oh, yes. Of, that yeah, is one of my, that's one of my, my, uh, Holy grails or, um, gosh, um no because between the sun and moon was one of mine oh god the big wheel would have been amazing or some of those like deeper they you know what though they may have played that on that tour i just don't remember because again i was not a fan then i was just a big poser um but yeah some some of the deeper tracks and roll the bones i would have loved to see yeah i don't think they played the big wheel and available light i keep saying this jar but 
it would have been great on the Clockwork Angels tour with the string section, don't you think? Oh yeah. God, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But they played they played Presto um, two tours ago. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a fun surprise. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good. I don't know. What about you guys? What's your answers? Available light is a great answer. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I always say I, they played this live, but I never saw them play it. Cinderella Man is a song I would have oh. loved to have seen them play live. They buried that a long time ago. Yeah, when did they last play that? I'm I don't have this like so many people can be like, oh, on January 14th they played blah 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 <laughs> at right. the at the Coliseum in Kentucky. Like I don't I don't have that sort of like encyclopedic knowledge of them, but um. Because I, you know, I just had to give that up. That was so time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and the other one for me would be Hand Over Fist on Presto. Oh, interesting. I love that song. They never played it. Yeah. The gar- yeah. I, I mean, they play all my favorites from, from Test, Test for Echo. I mean, Resist was a, Resist Unplugged or Acoustic was such a gorgeous treat. Yeah, it was. Did they do Carve Away the Stones a secret a secret uh, favorite of mine? I don't know if they played that. I don't think so. No. Yeah, I'd I'd have to go back. I mean, they kind of all blend into one, unfortunately. <laughs> right. <laughs> How did you guys react when Neil passed away? What was that day like for you? It was stunning. It really was. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I first heard it. I was at work and. I texted Jerry immediately, first thing I did, and I just had to go online and look for the stories and just make sure it was true. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Jerry and I recorded a podcast the next day and just poured our hearts out, and it was like a family member died, really. That's how I felt. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And it was like a, a big shock. You know, it was a big surprise. Yeah. I was just surprised at the depth of emotion that I felt for someone I'd never met. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Like, yeah, yeah, I was actually about to, I was with Pete on the road. We were in in LA and we were shooting a a video with him. So we're in like a studio and like, you know, I'm setting up and getting ready and he's, you know, he he walks in and you you have a hard 15 minutes with in and out. So like, I'm pretty nervous already. And then my phone starts blowing up and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, how is this? It's, (laughs) it's, <laughs> I still don't accept it. Yeah. You know, because like he was gone. He's never been physically in our lives anyway, unless, you know, we're seeing him at a show, but we already knew touring was over. It's just the idea that we won't get any more of his words, his thoughts. Like, it's yeah. just, that's what kills me. How'd you get through that night? I don't know. I just, you know. Drank. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just like was like, all right, like muscle memory kick in, autopilot, let's do this. Like oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he was such an interesting guy because he, nobody knew like he was he was himself to the very end, right? Didn't nobody knew except the, his closest friends. And you know, he they had his funeral in, in secret and then they made a I mean it's just is, is there ever been such a consistent person? <laughs> it's seriously, exactly. Like he, he, he went out the way he wanted to. It's like comparing that to, um, Gord Downey. I forgot. Is that his last name? Gord down from, uh, what's it called? The Canadian yeah. band. Um, yeah. that was pretty spectacular. And it was such a interesting way to like say goodbye to your fans. But like, obviously that's not Neil would Neil is not that guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Boy, what a downer. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you know, it'll be interesting to see when when you know it's it's it, it's crazy and I selfishly am like, how come Gary and Alex haven't been recording new stuff? How come and I'm like, these guys lost a brother. You f- I forget that like they're grieving as humans, as as people that are extreme, you know, they grew up together. They they lived together. Basically they were each other's like, you know, spouse on the road and like they, they are grieving. And, um, you know, I think Alex recently said something about like how he hasn't been able to pick up his guitar and like, that's, that's sad. Like those guys, it's so painful and it's still so recent, you know, it was only five, six months ago. I know. 
you think back at the beginning of 2020 and it started off terrible for Rush fans first. Yep. And then everybody else caught up to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing that's amazing about it is how terrible we feel about it. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. how they feel? They knew him. We didn't even know yeah. him and we feel yeah. like no. this. No. But like, you know, Rush went out as a band on top. I hate seeing big bands like, you know, whatever, Journey or Def Leppard, like playing at state fairs, you know, like I, I would have never wanted to see Rush playing at like a hot dog festival. Um, (laughs) So like they went out. They have those? I would love to go to a hot dog festival. (laughs) Yeah. RushCon is a hot dog festival. Um, (laughs) In other ways. Uh, But, um, you know, like they, they went out the absolute top of their game, like total respect, total respect. Clockwork Angels was a masterpiece. I know, and crazy. Then, I mean, Neil got sick like right after the tour ended. It's just like the timing was just insane, you know, for atheists. It's hard. It's, it's crazy to think like that. The timing of that was just remarkable. Like had he got sick five years earlier or, you know what I mean? Like, like during the tour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've often said, we've talked about it before, This, I think Jack Black said it in the documentary that, you know, Rush has an endless supply of hot sauce or something like that, and it just keeps on coming out of the bottle, something like that. And, and it's true because, you know, these guys were in their 60s when they recorded Clockwork Angels, and it is one of their best albums. I'll never be able to listen to The Garden again, though. <sighs> I mean, I always say about, you know, like the Rolling Stones, they still tour. But they haven't had now mount since like I don't know when. Yeah, it's they're just some legacy act at this point. Yeah, I just like, and I'm so glad Rush never did that. I just no. miss. I mean, they toured so much the past 15 years. Like there was a tour every three years, and so like every two, you know, so it was that whole you know when are they announcing dates? What tickets do you have? Who's going where? It was just like this whole noise level of rush fans just like you know everyone was so excited and it was such a thing to look forward to and like gotta coordinate taking off work so i can <laughs> you know yeah. go follow a band and it's just i hate that like that progression that fun thing to look forward to is just it's just gone you know yeah i mean there's no other band that can take their place either i mean i guess the deadheads kind of gravitated toward fish i suppose but who do we have yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So Jillian, Jillian, when you put in for that time off in the White House, do you have to call yeah. up President Obama and say, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, I need to go follow Rush around for two weeks. Um, Is that okay? Not not him personally, but I did have to uh, declare RushCon in my background check. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, because it's it's a for you know it's Canadian, and I have so much you know I have so much interaction with with uh, for you know foreigners like non Americans in in Canada and working on the convention, and you know I they it's back when there were rules in politics and rules in the government and ethics. <laughs> An ethics committee, it was very, um, you could not have additional sort of like uh, side projects or, you know, even you couldn't even be publicly like coaching your kids little league. You just ever, you just could not have a public persona outside of, you know, working for the government. And so I had to go through a huge thing with legal about like, so I run this convention. They're like, you have to take your name off the website. You can't do, you know, like it was crazy the amount of hoops I had to jump through. And then like when the documentary came out, I had to do a full disclosure on that. Like, am I allowed, what am I allowed to say? What am I allowed to show? And so um, it's funny because every time I start a new job, there's that period of where I'm in the closet as a Rush fan. <laughs> <laughs> And then like, it'll, it'll, it'll start leaking out. But like now I don't have to say like, Hey, um, I'll, I'll take this job, but I need a week off in in September to go to Toronto. Um, so like, you know, it's, it's not as, I don't have to take much time off anymore, luckily, but yeah. We were just talking about moving pictures on a couple of our previous podcasts Mm -hmm. is moving pictures. Rush's greatest album. Define greatest. In your opinion. Yeah. No, I don't think it's their greatest. I think Permanent Waves is as good. I think A Farewell to Kings is as good. I think Hemispheres is as good. I think like commercially, 
because it has Tom Sawyer and Free Will and Red Barchetta, like, I think that's the one people assume was the most successful. I mean, there are some, the camera eye is insane and like vital signs is insane. And, but like, so is natural science. So is Xanadu. Like, I, I don't think it's, it's just like a great collection of songs that all happen to be on the same album. <laughs> right. But can it be Rush's most successful album and Rush's best? To their accountant. Sure. <laughs> Because we, we've gotten a lot of, I think when we started talking about moving pictures, I was saying how it's probably my my favorite album. And people kind of jumped on the, that fact and said, well, just because it sold the most doesn't mean it's the best, and, which I never said. But, you know, I really, 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 really love that album. Yeah, it's a great what album. I, what, what can I do? Just because other people also saw the value in it doesn't mean that it should be devalued in any way. I honestly don't view rush songs sort of like in album format like you know what i mean like yeah. if if i i'm a i'm a shuffle shuffle all songs type of girl right that's surprising actually because don't you think that rush songs were meant to be heard as an album oh yeah definitely definitely but like i don't need to listen to all of permanent waves every time I want to just listen to natural science or, you know, spirit or something. What's your favorite albums? You said, you said yours is moving pictures. I would have to say moving pictures also. Interesting. Permanent waves would be a close second for me. And clockwork angels, honestly, is right up there too. Yeah. Top five, probably. Interesting. But now, now what is like, where's a hold your fire in that? Like, why doesn't hold your fire compete? Oh, hold your oh, fire! It's fantastic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know the difference between number one, number two, number three, number four is you know the smallest of degrees. So, uh, moving pictures might be my favorite album, but it's so close. I mean, if they it, this is like photo finish kind of albums. Yeah. And like that's like ten of them. Yeah, Hold Your Fire was the first album that came out when we became fans. So, nice, yeah. So that that's huge for us, at least for me, Jar. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, it's a great album. Yeah, Counterparts was my first, like, I'm a Rush fan and an album's about to come out. Like, they did the whole thing on the radio where they, like, interview them and they play a song. What was that? Who's that guy that they used to do that with? You know who I'm talking about? Jim Ladd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did that, and like I would, I would sit in my garage in my mom's car, just like listening to the radio. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then I ran to like Sam Goody to buy the the tape or the CD or whatever. Like, yeah, I, I guess it's like how you experience the album, and where you are in your life at that point. Because like yeah. Roll the Bones was my first concert and my first love, but like Snakes and Arrows is one of my least favorite albums, but I was very, you know, I saw a million shows, you know, I was at the, you know, when it came out, I was number one in line to buy it, you know, all that stuff. So I think it yeah. just sort of also depends on where it, where it falls in your life. Yep. Yeah. It seems like, like Jerry was saying before the album that came out when you were 17 seems to be the album for you. Yeah. Yeah. Power windows is that for us followed by hold your fire. Yeah. And then we just, went back and absorbed everything else after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like how, if you become a fan sort of in the middle of their career, you had, you had still so much to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but if you were, if you, if you discover them now, you're like, Oh, this is a great band. And you're like, guess what? There's 20 albums you get to discover. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. You know, they don't, they don't get the whole like lineage of how, Permanent Waves was first, then Moving Pictures came out, and or, you know, vice versa, whatever. And then, yeah. like, how that influenced Signals and how that influenced Grace. And, like, they they don't get that whole, like, evolution of, of Rush that people that had to listen to them in order did. Yeah, why do you think it is that people who started listening to Rush from the beginning, a lot of those people don't like any Rush past Moving Pictures? Yeah, I mean, that's when they significantly sounded different. I mean... I don't see it as much because, again, I'm, you know, looking at that in hindsight. But I think, I mean, the big jump was was signals, you know, to, mm -hmm. that's where I think a lot of people were like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I always thought from from a, a sonic standpoint, I always think that uh, signals should have been after Grace Under Pressure. 
as it's closer to the it's closer to power windows than grace under pressure is it is that's interesting grace is such a yeah. good album it is a great album i don't feel that way though i feel the progression is perfect i think signals is more like moving pictures well let's throw down <laughs> <laughs> i really do i think vital signs into subdivisions makes sense yeah absolutely that feels like the next song yeah mm-hmm. I, I think rush did it perfectly everything's perfect everything's perfect i've got no complaints so what's next for you jillian are you sticking with mayor pete here Mayor Pete is, you know, we've got a big election in 132 days. Um, I hope everyone's registered to vote. So I'll be, you know, involved in that. And then, you know, we will see the uh, the future is wide open. I have some secret career dreams, but I won't say them out loud in case they don't come true. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I kind of like have peaked, you know, like all the best parts of all the best things in my life have already happened. <laughs> I hope not. No, it's true. It's true. Sad, but true. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it's a tough spot. Like I've already had my dream job. I've already seen my dream band. I've already, I've already had the worst days of my life and I've already had the best days of my life. So who knows? So when do you think RushCon comes back? Possibly next summer, as you said? Yeah, I, I think next summer. It seems right. Would you guys come? We would love to come. We've never been. Yes. Yeah. How come you've never come? I don't know. You know, we just, we just were talking about this. We're not fan fest guys, you know, I guess I've, I've seen Comic-Con. I actually was in Pittsburgh once and I saw the furry fest. Are you familiar with the furries? Yeah. Yes. And it kind (laughs) of creeped me out. So I, after that, I said, I'm not going to any of these. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't promise you there won't be any furries at Rush. <laughs> but let, let, let's, let's talk about this. Let, let pull up a chair. Okay. So there is a, this is funny, a giant group of fans in general. So for example, I was, uh, we were at Las, in Las Vegas for whatever tour, three or four tours ago. And um, we were talking to some fans. We were in the hotel uh, pool area talking to some fans and they're like no way we would never come to rush con that's so nerdy like that's so we're so not like that and i'm looking at these kids and they are decked out head to toe in rush t-shirts and hats and buttons and <laughs> pins and tattoos and i'm like so what what you're not the you're not a fan enough to go to a convention but you'd travel across the country to go to a show and you're like head to toe in tattoos and like you're talking to me at a you know, gathering before a concert. So it's strange to me that this, this, there's like a, a, an invisible wall that you have to break to explain to people like what a fan conventions like. And it's interesting that you bring that up because you guys do a podcast. So you're definitely, <laughs> you're definitely in, in that Venn diagram of hardcore fans. Um, that's a conversation I frequently have to have with people. It's like, it's not, you know, William Shatner's not there. We're not paying $700 for an autograph. It's like, it's hanging out with people that love the same band as you and that get your jokes. And uh, you know how like your ATM pin is 2112. Like I promised both, you know, both are great. <laughs> that's all of our ATM pins, you know? Now and I like, change it. Yeah. <laughs> like I could, we could unlock anyone's phone at a, at a rush concert. Cause we all have the same. <laughs> same pen but like you know everyone knocks yyz when they come into the room everyone when someone yells why are we here like we all know the answer it's not it's just like this amazing comforting feeling of like being surrounded by people that like get your jokes and have the same you know running list of 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 trivia in your head that you have all the time that you're like this is useless information until i'm playing trivia at RushCon, and then i'm amazing um yeah, it's actually really fun. And it's, there is a hurdle to get people to come to it and like explaining to them how to physically experience the convention. But I really highly recommend it. And like, you know, hanging out in Toronto and going to see random rush shit and like, you know, with a bunch of other fans. And even, even if there's, even if there's, you know, a, a gradient of fandom, like there's a lot of middle ground there. There's a lot of people that, you know, are going to have a ton of additional things in common with you guys. So 
I highly, highly, highly recommend it and want you guys to come. You guys could even do a podcast from Russia. Yes, we certainly could. Oh, boy. You've convinced me, Jillian. I'm in. <laughs> I'm definitely in. And when you do have the next RushCon, please contact us and we'll have you back on to talk about it. Of course. Um, well, <laughs> I, you know, here I am bragging about how not nerdy it is, but then I'm about to say, like, <laughs> we're pretty excited to go see the capybaras at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> the world's largest rodent. But their names getting Alex and Neil. Like, that's oh, really? Important. Oh, right. That's why. Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> that. The capybaras are named Getty, Alex, and Neil. Like, of course, we have to go see them, right? And you have to get your picture taken with them. Exactly. For $700. Um, <laughs> but like that's, you know, and we'll go to Lakeside Park because they just renamed the pavilion after Neil. And that'll be really nice. And the, you know, the cares like Lakeside Park's obviously iconic in its own way. Um, it's just a really fun weekend and you get to listen to a lot of great music and there's always fun games and, and, you know, shit to do. And we have like bands play and we have guest speakers and, you know, you get to go deep into your rush nerdum for a weekend. Nice, nice. Jillian Marianovich, creative director of RushCon. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Anytime you want to talk shit about snakes and arrows, I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know when RushCon comes around again. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys so much. Right, Have a yeah, great thanks night. A lot. Thanks, Jillian. Bye. You too. So, Jar, what I love the most about that interview is that it kind of morphed from us interviewing Jillian to Jillian interviewing us. I know. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> she really is amazing. Yeah. I like, she just wanted to have a conversation with us. Right. And it was great. Terrific. My favorite interviews are the ones that aren't interviews at all. And I'm serious. She's convinced me to go to RushCon. I think we should do it. Oh, yeah. We should totally do it next time. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. So summer 2021, we've got a date in Toronto. We do. I'm very excited about that. I'll book the hotel right now. All right, do it. That's if we can get into Toronto <laughs> That's true. at that time. Hopefully COVID-19 will be over by then. Yes. And we'll be able to do this. Yep. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are TheRushCast. You can email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. We're available everywhere you find podcasts. And the base intro today, Jerry, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, as always, is done by our good pal Lex, and we appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Lex. So, Jer, what I appreciate from you is a quote at the end of every podcast, and I hope you have one. I do, and I picked this one specifically because Jillian is a missionary for Rush. She likes to tell people about Rush. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to share this new wonder. The people will all see its light. Let them all make their own music. The priests praise my name on this night. That is perfect. Isn't it, though? It sure is. Take it easy. All right, bye.